Hello, and welcome to the Professional Insight Podcast Season 6. Um, I still don't know what episode it is. It doesn't really matter. Uh, my name is Brandon Curry. I think it's episode 32. I'm Jeff Collins. <laughs> I'm Josh Bond. <laughs> and Trevor Lindy. Well, we, you know, we said when we had this uh, fine gentleman on the last time, a.k.a. Dr. J., uh, we wanted to have him. Yes, that guy. Most people, when they say about Dr. J, they mean this guy. They mean this guy. Thank you, rookie. But we don't. We mean this guy, Dr. James Thorne from Wellington Altus. How are you, sir? Thank you. I'm, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Just checking the markets. Yep. All good. Um, we're doing great. Uh, but you know what? We, um, we were in our group chat last night and, um, Jeff Collins sends us the link of the right Jeff. Like you were just like, you got to see the interaction that <laughs> Dr. J had on BNN. So you stuck it to him. I was like, so, good for him. So <laughs> for, for context for everything, you know, we are live today and on, on all of our networks. However, if you're listening to this or you're watching a recorded version, it is October 26th. It's the day after the bank of Canada decided to hold their interest rates, which was a prediction by Dr. J. Two meetings back in a row. In, two meetings in a row back in uh, when we had him in August. And um, he was right both times. Um, and, uh, you know, Dr. Jay's been very critical of the Bank of Canada. So, um, again, you know what? Let's start off with a just one of the interactions that we that came from. This is because for anyone that's listening, BNN. Which everyone on this uh, on this platform, well, we got a guest that actually goes on the platform. That's Dr. J. None of us are smart enough to be on that platform, but we watch it religiously. Hold on, I'm right? sorry to cut you off there. Was that developer? Never mind. I shouldn't be mean. Touche. Did he really Touché. belong on that panel? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but uh, rookie, could you tee up the first uh, clip of uh, talking about bonds, please? That would be great. They are calling for inflation to average three and a half percent through to 2024 before reaching two percent in 2025. It looks like they are then pushing out when they expect to hit their inflation target, meaning it's going to take longer, which is another way of maybe hinting at a higher for longer interest rate environment. So, Dr. J, do you want to put context to, you know, how that all started off? And, you know, we were having some great, you know, chats, um, you know, just about the bond prices. And you did make the call that you you did firmly say, well, you've been very critical of the interest rate increases all year. Um, we all four of us have agreed with you, uh, emphatically agree, have agreed with you. Um, but give some context to your reasoning why um, they held and, you know, why you called the hold. You, you called it. You called it a couple months ago. So floor is yours. So I, I it's great. Thanks for having me back. I think what you got to do is, is you got to, and I think the way I look at it is, is as I get older, as I get older in life, I try to be a little bit more holistic in my point of view. And what do I mean by that? I'm going to assume that, Tiff Macklin, and I think he is, he's a very smart man. He's very cerebral. And so when we, you, when we talk about the data that we see and that the economy is significantly slowing, he sees it. 
when we sit there and say that inflation is caused by two exogenous shocks, you know, uh, Mr. Macklin has a PhD. Uh, he understands that raising rates to basically deal with an exogenous supply shocks is the wrong policy. He understands that. But yet at the other set, he's got to basically play the political game. Right. And so in my world, what I could say to you being in the business when I started, like, you know, in, in the 90s is it's 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 not my logic that gets me in trouble. It's and I'm going to it's this is behavioral finance. Right. It's the game that we're playing and where I get where I get uh, wrong or where my mistakes come is is not knowing. I think the game is checkers when we're playing chess. Right. So I, I would I would suggest to you if you think back, go back to the go back to uh, uh, before COVID, right? The Fed and the Bank of Canada wanted to get interest rates off the zero bound and have some dry power so that there could be a if there was a recession they could cut. So that's typically somewhere between two and a half to three percent. Okay, we got there, right? And then I think when they got there, I think my opinion is the fact that when you look at what the Bank of Canada did and the Fed did to basically support the economy through COVID, they did a great job, right? Because when it, it went full stop, they helped out, right? I think what happened, and so when you look at the support that the fiscal policy of the governments gave to the, to the economy, what I'm saying to you guys is that it should have stopped in about the end of 21, right? And what happened was after 21 and 22 and 23, right, I had the term fiscal policy run wild, where you had the, the Biden administration and the Trudeau administration basically implement a progressive left strategy, rightly or wrongly, right, which was inflationary. And the scary part about that is that, it, you know, it's taken decades for us to get our fiscal house in order. And when you see folks in Ottawa throw fiscal responsibility out the window, and go on the record saying they don't care that if their policies are inflationary or not, right? That strikes the fear of God into these central bankers, right? And it should because permanent inflation is every way is always uh, everywhere and always a fiscal phenomenon. So when you hear Jamie Dimon coming out, the head of the of J.P. Morgan, saying we could have interest rates at ten percent, that's because we could blow this deficit. To the, to the moon, and we could have a period of time of inflation caused by government spending, right? Putting people to work, sweeping, sweeping streets and filling potholes. So my opinion had been, when you're sitting there looking at it that way, you know, I think what was happening was that they were trying to counteract the inflationary pressures of the government, but they can't say so. And so in that segment that we talked about yesterday, and I've written about it, uh, you know, I sit there and say they need to go. They need to go and do what Paul Volcker did in the early 1980s and say, look, you guys, your policies are inflationary and stop it, which is exactly what Macklin did yesterday. Right. He finally speaks on the record. You got Larry Summers now in the United States talking basically publicly saying that, look, fiscal policy has to get under control in the United States. Right. And in Canada, because if it doesn't, then we're going to have inflation and it's going to be the wrong type of inflation. Right. And and so that's my. And so what I'm looking at is you're sitting there and go, if they can get the fit, the government on side. Right. If you look at the private sector, 
it's like a bomb has been taken. It's just they've dropped it off, right? It's just it's it's contracting all over the place. Unbeknownst to what they say on the media, right? An objective evaluation of the private sector, right? Suggests that the 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 that interest rate sensitive private sector is contracting. And in Canada, where we've got the highest personal debt to, to disposable income of any country in the, well, in, in the G7 at least, and I think we're number two in the OECD, rapidly raising rates is a recipe for a credit crunch, right? And so I, you know, I, I think we've gotten to the point where we've got everybody on side. The data is rapidly slowing, right? And so with, I guess what I would suggest to you is, you know, I think interest rates are going to come down a lot faster than folks realize. Right. And, you know, true to form, I think when Tiff Macklin was asked the question in the Q&A yesterday about fiscal policy, he answered it. He didn't ignore it. And he answered it, you know, as best he could, which he says that fiscal and monetary policy need to be rowing in the right direction to fight inflation. You know, he said it. And so I'm I'm constructive on 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 where we're going, but I am I am not a, I'm a, a also not um, a Pollyannish in the sense that look at if Justin Trudeau if the Liberals in the NDP continue to throw fiscal policy by the uh, you know restraint by the wayside, then we're going to have permanent inflation and interest rates are going to get much higher, much much higher, and you just don't want to be in Canada. Right. And that's what I I, 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 I I try to say. And it freaks everybody out. But I sit there and go, look, um, if we were sitting in New York City or London and we were managing a billion dollars and we could invest anywhere in the world. Right. Which is in your for in your RSP, you can you maybe have three percent in Canada. Right. Well, the average investor has 52 percent of their portfolio Canadian investor in Canada. That's way too hard. That's not diversification, right? So my whole point is, is I think that, you know, uh, I think that we're going to get a soft landing in the United States. I don't know how much damage the Bank of Canada has done. I think the Bank of Canada had to do that. And their, 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 their hand was forced by the Trudeau government. And that's why when I wrote my last piece, I, I, I invoked Shakespeare saying there's something rotten here up in Canada. It's an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate tragedy, but you know, and who, who bears the brunt of it? Well, Canadian investors, right? So it's funny that you say that um, you, you touched on a couple key points. Um, the first is you've been, uh, you've talked a lot about, you know, GDI or gross domestic income, which I'm going to have you define for our listeners and our, also our viewers in a second and in, in just in layman's terms and how you come up with that, um, that calculation. Because that, that, that was huge because in September they were boasting and I saw, we saw on your Twitter feed, actually, it was, uh, again, Jeff actually liked it and retweeted it. I did it and yeah. along with Trevor as well. And that was basically the 63,000 new jobs in September um, were being boasted about, uh, you know, from also, also some politicos as well. And you're like, um, can someone please read page two of the StatsCan report? where it clearly said 43,000 of those jobs were part-time and 20,000 of those were sole proprietor and there was 0% increase in the private sector. Um, I mean, these are, you need to read and go through the underlying data. So 
could you just address um, how you figure out gross domestic income or GDI and why would that be a concern to people? Why is that a factor that you use to kind of make these calls? Uh, because you can't. So what typically it doesn't matter, right? Typically, uh, when you're not dealing in a shock with uh, situations where there's no shock, right? And there's no, you know, generational seasonal adjustments by SAC, StatCan or the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It really doesn't matter the difference between GDI and GDP. Is, there's nothing, right? Because what GDI, what GDP is saying is GDP is saying output. This is the output of the economy. And, and GDI is the income of the economy. And typically the output and the income of the economy have to equal only there are periods of time when the government, you know, the government uh, data agents come in and screw up the day, the, the, um, the seasonal adjustments, right. And we're doing, we're, we're living that right now. So in, 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 in that case, what you do is you fall back. So it's like, forget about the public sector. We'll go to the private sector. I go into the board. And I sit there and go on one hand there, I say, Hey, sales are up 5%. This is great. And then the, the CFO comes up and says, yeah, but you know what? Income cash flows down 5%, right? Who wins? Who's right? Right. The finance guy. So typically at turning points, GDI is a, what they call a coincident in indicator. It basically tells you exactly what's going on in the economy. It cannot be seasonally adjusted. It's the income created by the economy, period. Okay. It's the same thing with household, the household. There are two labor surveys in the United States. There is one called the establishment survey where you ask businesses and then there uh, is the household survey where you ask people. Everybody knows in my bit position that you ask at turning points, you ask people, are you working or are you not working? Right. And a person and you say yes or no. It's not like, yeah, I am working and I have five jobs, which would show up in the establishment survey. It's yeah, I'm working. Right. So you just, you, you know, so you just, these are just tools of the trade. Like, so I don't know the other thing with, with, with Canada, which is really a joke and you got to get into the weeds and say, and it's the same with the United States is, is, you know, we're using data that was developed in the 1950s. So I don't know where you guys live, but I live in downtown Toronto and you know, all these guys that are basically, when you look at the labor data and you sit there and go, these new business, these self-employed people, do you know who they are? They're Uber cyclists. Okay. They're guys on the street delivering food or I get picked up from the, from, I get picked up from the airport coming back from, from BC and my Uber driver doesn't speak a word of English. He is a businessman. Right. Are you, and then so what these guys do is they sit there and go an Uber driver because he's a businessman. OK, is treated like a bit like a new business a la 1960. Right. right. That's, you got and you're sitting here going, you got to be you got to be crazy to think that that's a it's the same thing. Right. So the last thing I would say to you is that, that it's not a complaint. Right. 
right? This isn't a complaint. Everybody knows in my shoes that the forecast for the Fed and the Bank of Canada are wrong. Okay, everybody knows that, right? So the question is, is what is the right number and what's been priced in, right? Nobody believes the dot plots. No one believes, like, think about what they, think about what the Bank of Canada said yesterday. Inflation is caused by, by shelter. Okay, so if they don't raise rates ever again, it's like for, for, for 12 months, and we're here this time next year. Inflation, inflation it will be down 30%. And core inflation will be below 2% if nothing happens. And then they sit there and they say, well, then it's energy. Well, hold on. I just, got, I just want to check. So I'm going to just talk to you about this because I have to take my glasses off. Crude oil right now is 83.91. Gasoline is now two wholesale gasoline is 227. I want to just I want to pull up a chart here. I want to do a one month. Okay. Um got wholesale gasoline is down over 20% in a month. And yet the Bank of Canada comes out and says the reason why they're concerned about inflation is because of energy. Okay. Fair point. The profound thing I do is I look at the data and I go. Oil's not, oil's gone from 93 to 83 in two months, right? Right. I mean, from the July high, gasoline has gone from three down to 225. And oh, by the way, that's the same price it was back in 2009. How is that inflationary? 83 is this, is lower than it was from 2010 to 2016, right? So I sit there and I go, I go, I go, look, guys, there's no way that in, in, if things go the way we think they're going to go, that inflation is going to be higher for longer. And then what I would say to you or I, when I talk to teams at Wellington Altus is I say, if you want to believe in the Fed's, the Fed's rhetoric, if you want to basically invest off that, just tell me when they've ever been right. Right. I'm just looking at and I'm not this isn't cold fusion. I'm used I'm looking at data off my iPhone. Right. Not the Bloomberg that I got behind me. You know, you take 30 seconds. They think we are we have a mind of a goldfish. OK. And and if you want to believe it, that's fine. But here's the point. Uh, this isn't a complaint by me. Right. This is why I get that. I, I have value because you know what? Nobody reads the reports, right? Nobody looks at the data. Nobody goes back and looks at the data. Like, for example, the data came out today about full-time employment in Canada, right? Uh, can I? Do you mind if I turn my back one second? Can I? Because I want to get. Oh, the absolutely. Data. Go right ahead. Oh so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. just gonna do this. So I'm gonna crank up. I'm gonna crank up my um, computer here. <clears throat> Okay, where are we? Ladies and gentlemen, you're watching Dr. J right at work right now. This is this is huge. He's got the Bloomberg terminal <laughs> up and running. All right. So today's numbers, okay? Today's numbers. Payroll data. Negative 47,000 jobs created in August. It just came out. Okay? So, it just came so out. Full, that's full-time data. So that's in full-time August, data. Long. That's Bank of Canada data. Now, hold on. 
the for six months. Okay, I did six months. Let's do six months of data, right? For six months of data, negative ten thousand. Okay, so let's let's take it out a little bit. Let's just not focus on one month, right? It's noisy. Mm -hmm. The average, the average going back to ninety three is three hundred and nine thousand jobs in the private sector created. And you're telling me that we've got a strong economy. Now that took me, that took me 15 minutes to rip the data off of stats can and build a spreadsheet and calculate and calculate an average, an average and a, and summing six months, right? This isn't, this isn't cold fusion guys, right? But what do you want me to do? Right. And this is the point. Like I look at myself as an objective researcher. I'm supposed to sit there and go listen to these people. Okay. I don't subscribe to the root, the thing called the Phillips curve, which is jobs create inflation, right? Low unemployment creates inflation, but Hey, let's have at it. If the consensus in the world thinks that's the case. Okay. Let's use their argument against them. Inflation is dropping and we've got a contraction in the labor force. So what's your complaint now going to be? And so when you go back to the Bank of Canada, eventually they have to pivot. And the reason is, is they have gone too far on what we call this communication strategy of trying to keep people held in, believing that they're going to raise rates and tighten, right? They have to pivot because if they don't, their reputation will be tainted for a generation and they need the communication strategy as a tool to control people's expectations about inflation. If they screw this up, nobody is going to listen to them ever again. And that, and, and what we call the economist called moral suasion is a very strong tool and they use it to their fans and they're very good at it, right? They're very, very good at it. But you've gotten to the point where the preponderance of evidence is suggesting that higher for longer is it is 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 wrong, right? That inflation is permanent. Remember the old the, the inflation permanent? Okay, there's a guy that goes yep. on. You know, he's got a half a million YouTube or uh, uh, followers on Twitter. He used to, he's he's the inflation permanent guy, and 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 during COVID, he would basically post lineups of ships trying to offshore offshore uh, goods in, at yes, the Long Beach that. port. Yeah, here, here's the other one, okay? So let's go back and say, why do I think we're going to go back to deflation? So if you go back, it starts in 95, okay? In 95, what happened is durable goods, durable goods, the price for durable goods was negative, like deflation right? Because of globalization, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so what that did is that is if you deconstruct the price data with durable goods being negative and it's average. So durable goods in deflation has averaged negative 1% since 1995. And that's when deflation started. We are now comping right now at about a two negative 2.2%. So there's your deflationary anchor, okay? And then why is that important? It's because services inflation has always run over 2%, right? So 
if you're sitting here like a geek like me, you're sitting there and, and this goes to the Fed knows this. The Fed presidents know this. OK, the chairman knows this. Tiff Macklin knows this. So they're sitting there going, oh, look, durable goods is below zero. Great. There's our anchor. Now, as long as that stays where it is, which I think it is. OK, then we go back to this low inflation environment. Right. And then you're, we're sitting here at the Bank of Canada going, we've got what we needed, boys. Right. Low inflation, durable goods is going to be the anchor. Now, service inflation is going to come down, but it's not going to go below 2%. If we can get Justin Trudeau and Krista Friedland in the NDP stops, you know, spending like drunken sailors. Right. <laughs> right. Then then what do we got? We've got us back to the lower bound, which is zero to 2%. And this is the big risk. Right. Because if they don't stop now, right, we go back to zero. And why am I saying this is because in my professional career, so I started in the mid 90s, Japan has had four inflationary episodes that they tightened too much and they went right back to deflation. Japan since the 80s has not been able to escape deflation, deflation, debt and deflation. And you overlay digitization, you overlay demographics. The risk has always been going back to a debt deflation spiral, right? Going back to, and, and we can't get out of it. Remember what we talked about, you know, in 16. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to believe me. Listen to Patrick Monaghan, the, the guy who's, uh, uh, sorry, Mr. Monaghan, who's uh, the, the CEO of Bank of America, right? He says spending levels are back down to 216, 216 levels where you had slow growth and low inflation. So you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe the Fed. But if you listen to the largest, the guy who runs the largest bank, retail bank in the United States saying we're going back to low growth and disinflation. You want to ignore that? That's on your watch, not my watch. Yeah. Doc, how much so does uh, does the Bank of Canada really care about a tainted reputation? And realistically, at this point in time, wouldn't you think that there is already some tainting on the, the reputation of the Bank of Canada? I don't trust Canada? anything they say. I listen to Dr. J for the info now. No, yeah, yeah. I, but I, 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 I think if you look at, if you turn on CNBC, Right. I, I think it's it's very I, I think there's they want to be taken and they want to be respected. And I think I think, look, at there are, it's a great reason. Both both institutions are full of a lot of smart people. Right. They were put between a rock and a hard place. Right. I mean, I, I don't think and it's really unfortunate, guys, because what we did, what Jay Powell did in 2020, he invoked a very unique section of the Federal Reserve Act that had not been used since World War II, Section 13.3, which basically said they were going to become subordinate to the Treasury and they were going to generate $4.5 trillion out of thin air and give it to the Treasury to spend. So the Treasury was going to mainline that into the economy to support economic growth. And what happened was they spent about two of it and the economy recovered and then what happened was instead of just sitting there 
and not doing anything, right? Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden said, we're going to spend this 2.5 T, this extra 2.5 T to implement our progressive left strategy, right? Rightly or wrongly. Well, I can tell you right now, Powell and the Fed is never going to do this again, right? They're never going to do this. They rue the day, right? We went into this crisis with a coordinated monetary and fiscal policy. And we left, as Tiff Macklin said, with monetary and policy and fiscal policy rowing at opposite end. You know, the boat was going in nowhere. And so what I would suggest to you, the thing that I look at going forward is the fact that with, with, with how Powell used the Federal Reserve Act to save the economy and put money in. And it was brilliant. Like, I want to tip my hat. So I, I, cause I beat on these guys a lot. Right. Mm. But unfortunately what they did is they took no good deed goes unturned. And then they, they take this good deed, you know, this policy, and then they basically, they gun it. Right. And we got inflation. Look at the deficit in the United States at 7%. Like, you got it. You got GDP, nominal GDP on a Q on Q basis. You know, if you annualize it over 3% and you've got deficit spending at like World War II levels. Always easier to spend somebody else's money, Doc. Well, yeah, but we're going to have, you're right, but we're going to have a hangover. That's my whole yeah. point, right? Yeah. This is when you hear me talk about the fact that World War One. what happened after World War One? The depression that everybody forgot about. Yeah. What happened after World War II? Had a strong recession. Why? Because the sugar high of fiscal policy wore off. The economy hadn't adjusted. Fiscal policy comes down. We have a gap in economic growth and we have a severe recession. That's what should, I think is gonna set us up, right? And, and so I think that going forward, you know, the real risk is going to be in 25, 24 and 25, as, as in the early 1920s, as in the late 1940s, we're going to have a debt deflation scare, right? And these folks, I'm just saying this time it's not different. That's what history suggests. And if we get fiscal policy under control, then the sugar high growth that we have right now is going to go away and the hangover is going to be substantial. Um, now, we've got a couple more uh, videos. Uh, Rookie, could you tee up the next uh, clip from the BNN Bloomberg? Um, Before we go there, Curry, do you think the conservatives would have spent that extra two and a half or the Republicans? Oh, yeah. Let me. Everybody's to blame. So I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to sit there and blame. Um, I don't want to blame one. I, I just, I look at it and, and I want to be clear. I blame Mr. I blame Justin and, 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 you know, Justin Trudeau and Christopher because they're the leaders of the government. Right. Yeah. I, but you know, if, when I'm talking, I could easily blame Doug Ford. Right? Sure. Absolutely. I could, boy, it's, this isn't, this, this, this isn't this politics. Goes across party gotcha. 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 This gotcha, goes right. about, this goes across party, but yep. you know, if, but I just don't want to, I don't want to, but if, you know, if I start qualifying everything, I lose people real fast. Right. Yeah. So, no, no. But I just wanted to make sure that it's, you know, it wasn't Mr. just Trump, Trump, the, the spending of the Republicans when they controlled everything was as not as bad as, as, as the Democrats, but it was bad. It was bad. Well, I mean, before we go to that clip, actually, I mean, like I, I, I was just going to say, uh, Rookie, if you can keep all five of us here. Um, basically, it, it, you know, I went I went on the on the radio back in 2017 and part of, you know, provincial and please weigh your way in here, uh, Dr. J. 
um, was the arbitrarily political motivation of increasing the minimum wage in the province of Ontario. And if you look, that's that's a fiscal policy measure where you it was not indexed to inflation. It was politically driven. It was politically motivated. Uh, in 2017, Kathleen Wynne stood up and said, well, if you have a business, you can afford to pay more. Then Doug Ford said, I would take it away. Then he turned around and raised it to 15 bucks. Now it's 16.55 on October 1st, 2023. If you look between 11, if you look between 2017 and 2023 in a six year span, the minimum wage in Ontario has grown 43%. According to Unifor, which is which is a union, if for anyone that doesn't know, represents two of the larger grocery store chains, Metro and Loblaws. 80 to 90% of, of um, labor is minimum wage, is, is, is part-time employees. And those contracts are correlated to what the minimum wage is. And yet I have people when I back in 2017, when I said you cannot just arbitrarily increase the minimum wage because it's going to be inflationary. Businesses are just going to turn around and pass it on. It's going to take a while, but it's going to pass it on. And now you have those same people. When you pull up Loblaws, for example, they haven't had a profit margin over 4% with the exception of Q4 in 2021. Everything's been pretty consistent. So my point, I guess, what's your what's your stay on how about to go back to the provincial level where you have all these premiers artificially increasing the minimum wage and then it just gets passed on to the end consumer in the end anyway. Am I, am I not correct? And they're all the, scratching their asses wondering why grocery store. Grocery to, your point, to your point, though, too, Brandon, I mean, that could be part of an explanation of the high cost of. Well, yeah, food, right. right. So, well, that so the, argument, the argument is, you know, if if. And this is where I really took issue, but I think you know, go but going back, look, uh, you you want to raise rates if 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 the economy is so white hot that there is excess demand created by the private sector, not the public sector, the private sector. And we agree as a community that 2% is our inflation is important and it's sacrosanct, then raising interest rates is the tool that we need to use to basically, and, and so with wages, right? Right. So what you point to is, is something that what I talk to a lot of people is that, is that the wage rates that we're seeing right now, right, or, or that are the caused by minimum wage is not created by the private sector being overheated it's created because our elected officials decided to increase the minimum wage then you get okay so tiff macklin raising rates is going to do nothing oh. but hurt the private sector and make the private sector smaller because he's responding to fiscal policy and my whole point was when i get when i go on tv and i talk about tiff you got to you know mr macklin's got to start talking about this because he's got to say if you keep raising the minimum wage which is fiscal policy i will keep raising interest rates right i will keep raising interest rates because of your government policy doug well, ford doug ford should have never written that letter to the bank of canada well, right. I, I mean, mean it's a, I yeah, mean, we all you know, and so that's where you get disappointed because it's on both sides of the ball. Right. I mean, so you're at, and so when I talk to people, right, I, I had people reach out to me and I sit there and I went to them um, from the government 
and and I and I sit there and I try to qualify this, right? It's it's not. Let's assume that we all voted for the po- folks that are in power in Ottawa and 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 Queens Park or in in, in Ontario, right? So sure. and so and we all buy into this thing that if we buy an elected, if we elected our government, there are policies that we agree to, and some of them we agree to, but some of them we don't. But it's a democracy, and we're all cool with that, right? And let's just say that. So look, look at I am I am not. I am not sitting here and saying that putting a carbon tax on gasoline is right or wrong. The elective individuals do it. It's our community has decided, blah, blah, blah. But if you do that, 50 basis points of our inflation is directly by studies directly attributable to that carbon tax, right? Fine. You can't sit there and say and blame the bank. And if the Bank of Canada is going to look at that inflation and basically say, we're going to raise rates, then it's naive for you to basically go to the Bank of Canada and complain to the Bank of Canada when they've told you they're going to raise rates because of inflation and they don't care whether it's coming from you or the private sector. Right. And then and and, and, and there's enough blame to go around. And I and, and I would say to people, look. I live in a very hipster part of downtown Toronto, right? And what's very interesting is the fact that it's going to be, you know, you're seeing it in the survey data, right? For the for the hipster cohort, climate change is no longer the number one issue. What is? Mortgage on your, you know, cost of living and mortgage payments, right? Tiff talked about it yesterday, Mr. Macklin. He sits there and goes, people have contacted their constituent office. They're complaining about, you know, they're complaining about the high mortgage rates. Well, the high mortgage rates are, right? Me, right? 30% of, but here's here's where the rub, it rubs the wrong way. But Mr. Macklin, 30% of your CPI is your rate hikes. If you just ignored those rate hikes, you're in the zone. You're in between one to three percent. You take into consideration that 50 basis points of inflation is caused by carbon credits. Right. You're right there in the range. Right. Yeah. Let's take That's into consideration. Let's pull out. Yep. Let's pull out, the you know, Quebec last year, raise the minimum wage in May. Right. Let's pull out the wage growth that you guys are talking about. But most of it is caused by a portion of it's caused by fiscal policy. Right. Let, if we're going to do this. Right. And that's all I'm trying to say. If we're going to do it, let's look at the data objectively. Right. And let's stop with these false premise arguments. Right. And if you do that, going back to your first question, infl- look, at there is a term, there's HICP. It's the Harmonic Inflation Index. Europe uses it. Right. And what you do is it's, it's, it's a, it, think about this inflation we have a different inflation measure than the Americans. Well, in Europe, they come up with this term, the HICP, which basically standardizes inflation across the Eurozone. The Council of Economic Advisors that's run by Leah Brainard, who used to be the vice chair of the Fed for the Biden administration, they just released it last, I think I posted it on my Twitter. Canada and the United States using their measure, right? Inflation's at 2% right now, right? So look at objectively viewing all of this as an economist, we are at 2%. So then why are we playing pin the tail on the donkey over here? 
they're afraid. Now I got to come. This is that's, but that's my question. I get across the country. Then why are they doing this? Right. The only reason that I can sit there and say that would be a, would be plausible because they know this, right. It's because they're worried about fiscal policy unhinged, right. Or un, go, run wild. And they think, they think that Justin and, and Chris are going to sit there and keep spending, you know, we had a 17, the, 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 uh, the parliamentary budget office, came through with their report. I mean, there is a 17% overshoot in the deficit, right? When you have Chantal Iberge, who's who's been around forever, who, you know, is on CBC. I mean, I watch CBC because I want to get the feeling of what, you know, it's, you know, it's unfortunate, right? I don't, you know, I watch MSNBC because I want to see what the extreme left does, right? I want to watch CBC to see what they say. Like they had a political panel. When you have staunch liberal Folks, and she's a very smart lady. I'm not taking any, but when she sits there and says that basically the 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 Liberal Party, the Federal Liberal Party, has lost their way in terms of fiscal responsibility, that is from an important insider of mm. the Liberal Party. She's a she's a very very well respected journalist. Very very well respected. And very you well there respected. And you sit there. And Does you a lot hear, of great work. Right, and you hear her say that you know, and she writes for the Toronto Star. Which when I yes, phone my when I talk to my folks my 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 friends out in Western Canada they have a, a, a beautiful term for the red they call it the red star, right? Because <laughs> it's it's the liberal paper, right? When they start objectively questioning the liberals, to see you're starting to see a sea change, right? And and so it, that's good, that's good, right? And yeah. so that's why I get very constructive. Right. I get very construct. Like I am like I think I'm more short term constructive on the United States than Canada. And the only reason I say that is because I don't know how much damage the, the Bank of Canada rate hikes have, have done to our, our long term growth. Twenty four may be a tough year for Canada. Right. Relative to the United States. Right. And for those of you guys that are old enough that remember the 90s, why Canada yes. did so well is we had innovation in this country in the 90s, right? Nortel and BCE built the industry to basically build out the internet. We don't have that, right? We had, you know, um, Linux software came from us. We invented we invented this with BlackBerry, right? We were there in that technology wave that happened in the 90s. We were front and center. We are not there. We got Shopify now. But can we right. get there through the metals or something like that, Dr. J, in terms of like all the environmental and, you know, these EV batteries? You, you think the there's a possibility? Right. Well, what I would say to you is, so how I look at it is, is it's a game, right? So so the game is um, I want to make sure that my hypothetical client can achieve his or her financial goal. And that financial goal is to get, let's pick a number, 8%. 6%, whatever that is. And it's 60, 40, depending on what their mix, what their mixture is. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what all I just try to say to you is I think it's going to be easier for us to be investing in stocks uh, and companies in the United States to achieve that goal. And if you, if we were sitting around here picking a team, a fantasy football team, right. Or a fantasy stock team, yeah. and we could pick, I could say we could pick stocks. You have to pick 25 or 50 stocks. And I and you're sitting and go, I want to be able to pick stocks from Canada and the United States as opposed to just Canada. I think everybody here would basically say, yeah, I want to be able to pick. 
I want to be able to pick stocks from, from, you know, the most dynamic economy in the world. Right. And that's all I'm basically saying. Right. But yeah, look at, I think Cameco, I think uranium is a wonderful play. If you want to buy Canadian energy companies, you know, they've delevered their balance sheet. I think they're wonderful. Um, I think Canadian banks are the best managed banks in the world. But look, Canadian economy is four times more, four times more geared to real estate than the United States. Right. What happens to the bank, these banks, if our real estate market up here trades exactly what happened coming out of the real estate bubble popping in the late 1980s when John Crow did exactly who was the head of the Bank of Canada, did exactly what Tiff Macklin's doing. Right. Well, we had a significant correction. Property prices in Rosedale went down significantly. Right. Condo prices went no bid for a period of time. But what happened? Real estate prices went sideways for a decade up here. Right. And I would suggest to you that would be fine if, if, if the Bank of Canada just takes the froth out of the real estate market and real estate market and the real estate, you know, properties in Canada and Ontario, but, you know, Toronto or Vancouver grow at, let's say, two or three percent for a decade. OK, and we grow our way out of this. Mm-hmm. Right. Then, you know, what's the business going to be to generate economic growth? for for um the banks right and that's the question and i have some ideas for you but i think i think you know in the united states there's just more opportunities to grow right there's migration they've got ai right they've got they've just got everything and i'm not and and, hey look at i'm canadian i love canada sure i decided to come back here Right. My kids love it. They are. You got an objective stance, though, Doc. Right. Right. You got to make a stance. And so what I'm just saying is that it's you and if we're building portfolios for our clients, it's just it's just going to be easier. And 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 so so and that's that's what I'm trying to to get at. So we're going to go before we go to the next clip, just to 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 round this lap, this this segment out right now. I mean, just to further prove your point, Dr. J. Look at what Paul Martin did in the 90s as the finance minister. He cut. He reigned in fiscal policy. And you talk to any fiscal conservatives with the hindsight of 2020, me being one of them, I would be considered myself a fiscal conservative. Um, He did a phenomenal job. He did a phenomenal job as finance minister. He completely put us at the top of the G7 very, very quickly coming out of the 92-93 recession. Um, and then look at what Bill Clinton did, too, in those eight years in the 90s. There, the, the U.S. was on fire during those times. And totally. this even furthers your point about fiscal restraint and proper fiscal policy. Totally. Um, but let me let me give you the, 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 the so the, if you go and you pull up the report by the uh, parliamentary uh, uh, uh uh, budget office okay the pbo and PBO, they have a yep. forecast right they have a forecast so they're forecasting deficit spending to, to to contract dramatically right okay and that's fair and that's great right and they have growth stagnating but let me be honest if if we were sitting across the table from them it would be very, very really interesting the question i would ask the parliamentary budget office is basically this I get the fact that we're going to have fiscal responsibility like you were talking, right? And we're going to basically cut, 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 right? And we're going to basically get it back and we're not going to screw this up. All the hard work that other generations have done. But in their weak economic data for a weak economic growth forecast, 
they have government, the government contributing to economic growth being stable at 21%. So the question I have for you is, so how can the government stop cutting or, or starting to cut, reduce spending, but yet still contribute 21% to GDP over the next four years? Help me out. Help me, help me, help me figure that one out. And they've also got private investment basically at I think 11 or 12 percent constant through that period of time. I don't know if Bank of Canada has keeps it at 5 percent. I don't see the hurdle rate. I don't see anybody spending, you know, private investment unless you've got the cash. Right. Yeah. If you're not borrowing. I mean, and this is the problem with all these economists in in in, in Washington and Ottawa. What's the inside poker? They don't take the credit crunch into consideration. They don't even they don't they don't basically think about this in terms of a household. Right. And so what I'm saying to you guys is, is I think there's a period of time where we could have a hard landing. We could have a, a, a recession in Canada next year. I would not be surprised about that. And then the risk is and this is my bias. Right. And so you got to take it with a grain of salt. In 2007, they started cutting rates and it didn't matter. Right. It didn't matter. Right. We had crossed the Rubicon. Right. And so I've lived an episode and then you'll sit there and say, well, then why, you know, why are you, you say the Canadian banks are so well managed and I'll sit there and go. So I worked for a bank and we were the only bank in the United States not to have any subprime ex exposure. We were clean. We were owned by Buffett, completely clean. Okay. They took our stock from 150 to 10. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. This was, they sold everything in the space. Right. The old adage, you know what happens when a cop comes to a party, they take take they take everybody away. And right. so when we talk about the bond proxies and we talk about the Canadian banks. If if TIFF has if if the Bank of Canada has tightened too much. And Canada goes into a severe recession, let me just say a couple of things. One, nobody around the world is going to care because we're so small. Right. right? Two everything is going to be taken to a woodshed. Nobody's going to be looking at income statements or balance sheets. And that was my, that's the experience of sitting there as a CIO. Sure. Right. In 2007 and just watching everything get taken to the woodshed and nobody was looked, no one cared, no one cared. And so, you know, that's when you hear me say, I don't have an edge yet. I mean, if I had an edge on, if I thought the bank of Canada you know, if they had not damaged anything, then let's see. Like I, 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 it's not clear to me that with housing prices going the way they are and with the lack of supply, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Bank of Canada uses its interest rate policy to basically maintain economic growth and see what they do. Right. And see what they do. And guys, here's the other thing that that if for for stock, the the thing the under the through line through the 1990s is here was the pitch in the 1990s, guys, guys. You bought your house, right? Your mortgage, right? Your house just went down; it's stabilized, right? It's not going anywhere. The interest rates are too high. You know, it's going to grow at two percent. But look at the stock market. The stock market's been up 12% three years in a row. Why don't we go and take a line of credit on your mortgage? 
for $250,000 and we can take that money and we can put it into a stock market in the stock market. Guys, that was the pitch in Canada in the early 1990s. And what I'm saying to you is, is what does this look like if real estate is no longer the go-to investment asset? I'm not saying real estate's not important. I'm just saying, hey, I got $250,000. I'm not going to buy a rental property. I'm going to put it into the stock market. And that's what happened in the 90s, right? And so I, I say that to you because, you know, as, 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 as Mark Twain says, right? History rhymes. So that's what I'm looking for. Can we get it down to a level where we're just using population growth and demographics and we know there's a tight supply and they come down and the real estate market is, is okay, right? And we have normal, normal transactions and you're making money and it's good. But you, these years where the, the, the stock market did a parabolic movie, that's over and we grow out of it and we take a decade and we grow, grow out sideways. If that is the case, if they can find the real, that would be the best case scenario where let's say the Fed funds rate or the Bank of Canada rate goes to somewhere like two and a half to three percent. Let's just say, right, we get a soft landing, mortgage rates come down, okay, mortgage rates come down to, let's say, in the United States and Canada, you know, they come down to let's say 4% or 5%, let's just say, well, in the United States, they are priced off of the, the the 10 year, right? So let's say, and they're priced off of the five year up here, right? So down here, you know, the 10 year goes down to 375. Let's say the 10 year, the five year up here goes to 350, right? Then you price it, you can get a good mortgage between four and 5%, right? It's good, right? The market's good. You don't have the silliness, right? And if that's the case, how does economic growth look when we're in this period of time where you've got millennials wanting to basically buy houses, right? So you've got that demographic effect like you had in the 70s, 80s and 90s. You've got migration happening in the United States and you've got a huge technology wave, which is AI and blockchain that is going to increase productivity and it's going to be a real, real drive down on deflation it's setting us up for a wonderful run into the end of the decade it really is but you know they're trying to they're trying to thread the needle right now and you know it looks like you know it looks like the bank of canada is going to start cutting sooner than a lot of people think and the data is starting to come in that q a that happened yesterday i put on the twitter it's a breath of fresh air I mean, where I got the soul and where I got, I felt good is not, it's not, it's, it's the same thing. It was with polos too, right? It's with these guys, when they, when they get out of this political environment, okay. And they start talking about the movement and the things that grind the economy. Look at, I get the feeling he knows exactly what he's doing. I think he's got the finger on the pulse. That's reassuring. It is. It is. So that's what I took away from it. I go, you know, I, I go, he knows what he's doing. Right. And that goes from the, that goes to the, to the, to the, to the thing that, you know, you just don't get to become the head of the bank of Canada by being a knucklehead. Yeah. Right. So if he knows what he's doing and everything that I just told you, he knows. Hmm. Right. Which I think he does. 
then I would suggest to you if the liberals, if the so in the liberals, if, if we stop the spending, which I think there are, well, there is that big inflationary pressure. Now we got to see how fast we decelerate, right? We have to decelerate. And, and we go on. Look, at we had the new Speaker of the House in the United States, right? He is a, he is, he is, he is right of center, rightly or wrongly, yeah. right? He, that position that, that the, the Speaker of the House, I lived in D.C. for like 15 years. That is the second most powerful position in the government, in, in my, my opinion. It is a yeah. big, they call him Mr. President. We have a fiscally responsible right leaning yep. individual in the speaker, which means fiscal policy run wild is over. And this is exactly what happened in 1994 and 1995 when Newt Gingrich became the speaker of the house, right? Which set the table. What did Greenspan do? Greenspan started cutting and we had a wonderful, wonderful rally in the stock market and and then the, the and then interest rates started to come down slowly and i think if he could if they could orchestrate that then i think you know like i said if we do this the right way the s&p is going to be 15,000 before uh, tw- like uh, around 20 you got to triple here okay um, we're going to show the next clip. Uh, I think it's the Coca-Cola versus CN Rail uh, clip. Rookie, if you have that teed up, that'd be great. And love to see the, the, uh, the economy yeah. is dramatically slowing. You know, I ignore what the rhetoric comes from the Bank of Canada. Just look at CN numbers today. CN Rail, yes. So I believe the rail guys. I don't believe the Ivy Tower economists. And if you go back and you did mention the BSC Business Survey, the reading is as low as it's been since the global financial crisis. Credit conditions are as tight as they've ever been in the global financial crisis. Output inflation, negative 40%, the lowest in the data set. Wage growth, which is what you were concerned about last time we met, negative 50% matches the lows ever. And then uh, the gentleman that was to your right who works for BMO brought up the fact that Coca-Cola is up. And that was his rebuttal. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, I sat back. I mean, all four of us. We were like, Jeff actually was the one that brought it up in the group chat. And he's just like, uh, it was either Jeff or Trevor. I can't remember, but we were chatting. And it's like, you're comparing Coca-Cola to CN Rail? <laughs> how is that even how is that even rel- that's not even in the same industry like someone buying a coke ha- has nothing to do with the fact that they don't want to buy a car yeah um, it's 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 you know guys I, I i use so i grew up in toronto i grew up in my parents place had a place in in in, in don mills right so i went to victoria park Right. Which is, uh, in, you know, it, it and what's unique about Victoria Park High School is it's half half Scarborough, half North York. Right. So and and it's funny because I always talk about I'm a knucklehead from Scarborough. Right. <laughs> Mike Myers. Mike Myers was at the high school just over. Right. Um, so he, I always say that, you know, Wayne's World was monetizing my childhood. Right. Same thing with Austin. <laughs> same thing with Austin Powers. Right. And, and, and the reason why I say that is look, so a uh, quick story. I left, I got my PhD. I taught up bishops. I wanted to get into the business. 
the first, when I got into the business, the first month that I was in the business, I had two meetings. One, we had a meeting with the head of the Bank of Canada. It wasn't me, but it was like 50 people. And the head of the Bank of Canada said, everything's fine. And then the next day, we had five of us had an intimate meeting with the head of CP Rail, right? And the head of CP Rail said, we're parking trains, right? Who was right? The guy from the, the rail guy was right, hmm. right? So I'm sitting here going, look, when you hear me blunt and it's, a lot of this stuff, it's, it's, you know, this is basic common sense from a knucklehead from Scarborough. Right. The objective. And, and, you know, when I worked with Buffett or for Buffett and, and, and he his his ideology permeated through the company. Right. It was make it as simple as possible. If you can't explain it in a, in a minute, really simply, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. So so it this is really this is really simple. Like the rail guys are parking stuff. The economy, you know, you look at the full time stuff. It's negative. You know, ignore the noise, you know, simplify this thing down. Do you know what I mean? And once you simplify it down to be able to do that means you really understand what's going on. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, so, and, and here's my point. I think they know, right. So do they cut? And here's the other thing I would say to you, here's the thing that nobody talks about. Right. And that's why I use the comment about the, the black, the black knight with uh, Monty Python. The regional banking crisis in the United States has not been solved, and that has to be solved. And the only way you solve that is you cut rates. Totally agree with you. Now there was an there was a, a, a an interaction uh, in the second part, which um, you know the three of us, and I want to bring in trevor and jeff on this one because of how it really directly pertains to their industry uh we don't have a clip from it just it was just we, we don't want to you know keep doing clips but um, does that mean i gotta be quiet was... <laughs> oh, oh yeah well i mean you know what you do you you do you you do you but here's the here's the piece the piece was you know in the second half of the segment you had um you had a home builder you had the same portfolio manager from BMO on developer. It was a developer. And yeah. And so he basically, the, the, the developer, the home builder told you to take a chill pill <laughs> and basically at, but before he told you to take a chill pill, he admitted on air that he was buying down rates. So Trevor, could you please not, we're not saying this is what he's doing. We are just merely commenting on what's happening in the market. So Trevor, take it away. Jeff, I need you to comment on on this from a context as a home builder, please. Yeah, I'll go. Like, like we were talking about, it was just one of those things that um, obviously rates are high. Qualifying for mortgages is extremely difficult right now. So builders are offering different incentives. It's no different than a builder offering an incentive of appliances, finishing a basement, um, you know, tax credits, flooring credits, things like that. So what they're doing right now is they've got a set price. Let's say it's $900,000. Uh, you buy the house, you get the financing, take care of it, right? And then the, the other side of it is they're turning around and saying that, um, okay, we, we can get you a lower rate, vendor financing, uh, and, and they're buying the rate down, but they're also charging that client a premium to get it in the first place. So right. So a, those are the things example. that people aren't like they're charging a premium. It's nine fifty now for the same house, 
but they're going to take the 50 grand and uh, you know they're making extra profit off of it it means they don't have to carry the property too right getting rid of it so if it means letting it go at three and a half percent and they're the ones financing it they're prepared to do it but they're padding their books and they're making sure they can do it see i don't think that's true in all cases though i think some big builders who are pre-selling it could be doing that right yeah, I'm it's not, not necessarily everybody. market value still sells houses, right? So if the builder has houses that aren't sold, they're pre-sold, they could be doing it like that. But if it's on the market, like some smaller builders out there, myself included, if you're not getting it sold at market value, your carrying costs are going up, you're gonna put some incentives in there. Buying down the 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 mortgage. I, I can see I don't think that was a bad idea actually from that builder that saying we're listed at seven hundred thousand in houses around here. And your mortgage is a thousand dollars higher a month for for buying right now. The interest rates higher. We could say, you know what, we'll pay you a thousand dollars a month for a year. Buy it down. What they're doing is protecting their price, right? So they don't want to show that they're negotiating on there. They want to protect their their price because if you sell, say you have six townhouses, and you take twenty five grand off one list at seven hundred, that lowers the value on that from market on all that. So the buyers gonna expect that. But if you can protect the price and lower it through incentives, either through buying down mortgages different ways, and they might just buy down the mortgage by saying, well, we'll take 12000 off that and then kick it back to you on closing. You still have to approve on that. If you have a big builder like this guy saying, because I think he mentioned 22,000 units, he only had four defaults on it. But if he's a big builder like that and they have the bank that they can fund it, they can do that. But not every builder is like that. No, well, and I, I wasn't alluding to every was builder being that but that's yeah, an incentive it, right they've got to do it i, I think the there's nothing wrong with that, that right? you have there's to incentivize selling right now the builders have to but do you know it what right but there's nothing wrong with that right that's no, not that, that's the point and, and so you business. get macklin macklin's at the in the q a and he's and he's surprised he's surprised that real estate prices haven't gone down as much as they thought he would right and it's the, the reason is is because you know you can you it's you know you can package it and so like they're they're let's be clear like to, to, supply to, and demand though, really right? and, and there is no supply right so this is this is the point and and so raising rates actually makes the supply problem worse not better right Absolutely. so this isn't to me about and so somebody's got to get to the bank of canada and say look you're not i don't think if they if they take their foot off the throat of the economy with their rate hike I don't think you're going to see a dramatic decline in real estate prices, right? No. And then you're going to, so you're going to have it here and you get, because we've got supply issues, right? I mean, that's, that's, so let's not even go there. That wasn't, look, that wasn't the problem in 08 in the United States. I went to a, I went into a Lennar. I got a, my kid, just a quick story. Uh, my kid's school, they did a silent auction. We got, we, it's funny. We got a week at a um, uh, uh, house in Rehoboth and Rehoboth is on the East shore. That's where Biden, you know, if you're, we were living in New uh, Washington, DC, we would take highway 50 out to the Atlantic ocean. And that was their ocean city in Rehoboth. And it was, we get to get to the sit house and it was a Jim Furyk golf course, championship golf course. <clears throat> and we were there with what my in-laws came down with my kids. We were like, I don't know, quarter mile from the ocean. Right empty empty this was an 07 completely empty and i go talk to the builders because it's a i'm a knucklehead right with my father-in-law we walk down and we start talking to them we said and we said what's that and and none of the houses none of the houses they were owned 
but they weren't occupied and they were bought by people from New Jersey who couldn't afford Oyster City, New Jersey. Okay. And they were still building in a true story. I get back to the, to Baltimore, right? Which is where the office was. And I have lunch with a guy who ends up, I'm not going to name his name, who ends up being the president of the world bank. Okay. <laughs> and he's, he works for a bank and he's a strategist for the bank. And we were at the Baltimore club and he's, He's giving me the same pitch that I hear up here, which is there's no problem. And I go, dude, the Lennar, there's nothing there in the Lennar place, man. And they're still building. Right. So so the reason why, you know, the, the last merger I was there in the United States you know, that we took out, we took out uh, a company called uh, 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 Wilmington <coughs> Trust. Right. Because they blew up their book of business. What doing financing all of these 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 real estate deals. Right. And and so the point I'm going to make is there was a massive amount of excess supply. That had to get chewed through. Right. So even though here in Canada, in Toronto, right, you could have a rental property, you could not have a, you know, you have a rental property, whatever. Right. I don't see the supply issue that I saw in 2008. So let me just be absolutely categorically um, on the record on that. I, so I think supply is a constraint. I don't see prices coming down dramatically as long as they raise, um, you know, they, they stop. We don't have a, like a cathartic credit crisis, right? No. And if that's the case, then I think, you know, real estate's still <laughs> going to be a wonderful property uh, or an asset class, right? We're just not going to have the silliness as we did before, sure. right? And, 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 and therefore, if that happens, so then I go back and, well, if that happens, then, well, mortgage origination might not be as strong as it was. You know, how are the banks going to generate earnings growth? Their book is going to be fine, right? They're trading at a discount to tangible book as it is right now. They're really cheap. Maybe they don't go back to 52-week highs, but maybe they're too, way too cheap, and maybe they have a 40% run off the bottom, right? Those are the type of things that I say. I like so, so we won't really know what this looks like until 25, 26, but I just can't in my mind in my mind, get through the fact that, 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 that how do we get the supply issue dealt with right in Southern Ontario? But that right. had originated before the pandemic. We were having supply issues, right? Canada. I mean, uh, Ontario, at least in the golden horseshoe, 2017, they had started implementing a non-resident speculation tax, right. To try and curb the supply. Sure, Cause that was one of the events for buyers. Yeah. yeah, well, that was one of the effects, right? Because we have such a good banking industry and yep. we didn't blow up over uh, through 08, right? You know, yep. you sit there and go, you're a very wealthy family. And we're talking very, very wealthy families. They say, well, we're going to drop 10 grand in Canada. We're going to yep. buy a house, yep. right? I mean, you go to Vancouver and it happens, right? And, and so all of a sudden coming out of the 08 crisis, because of the way that the banks were managed and the global economy realized that, there was a lot of destination of foreign capital coming. This is a safe place because the banks are really well managed. And I want to be honestly, completely clear. The banks are still well managed here, yep. right? They're world-class. Low amortizations, right? Like it's Yeah, yeah. Everything's there. We just yep. got to get through the most aggressive rate hikes in history on a highly levered. We just got to get through this adjustment process. And what does it really look like? I think they went too far. I think the Bank of Canada should have stopped somewhere between two and a half and three percent. I don't have a vote. Right. And that's fine. And I know that. Right. But I would say to you, maybe they went to three percent. 
I mean, went from three to 5% because of their concern about what was coming out of Ottawa. And if that goes away, then we go back down to 3% overnight rates, two and a half, three percent right? Then we are higher for long. They, then rates are higher, right? As Mr. Yep. Dodge says, right? The former head of the bank of Canada. Marginally though. Zero. But if they screw this up, this is where I just laugh at these guys. Do you think that they wanted to take rates to zero? Right. That was, oh. they required, they were forced to. Yeah. And my whole point is, is that the deflationary forces, right? Which is debt to GDP is worse than it was uh, before COVID. Digitization, which is highly def- deflationary, is stronger. You've got my immig- uh, demographics pointing to deflation. And I'm sorry, this story that globalization is over, come on. Like really, so we've got strong foundational deflationary forces that still exist. I'm not buying that we're in this new inflationary environment. If we get fiscal policy under control, I agree with the head of the Bank of America. We're going to go to a low growth, low inflation, low interest rate environment. It's going to be great. But if we don't, then Jamie Dimon's threat, the head of the of JP Morgan, is is prophetic. Right. We're going to have rates at 10 percent. Yeah. Right. And I don't that's not my base case. I don't think that's Mr. Diamond's base case, but he's out there banging pots and pans saying. Can we have some basically fiscal discipline, please? And everything's setting up for that to happen. Otherwise, it'd be a shitstorm. People would be handing in keys on mass. Right. On that. And then, yeah. And, and like so you sit there and I go, you sit there and go, you know, I couldn't come home one night. Why? Because. You know, somebody on the next street, basically, the guy was going to blow his head off. Oof. The cops had coordinated off. Why? Because he was he was levered in real estate. Mm-hmm. Right. One time at July 4th weekend, we got a call because our next door neighbor who ran the nursery, the bit, the largest private nursery in the in the Washington, D.C., Vermont, Maryland area, hung himself. Right. And the weird thing about this is, you know, Jay Powell lived in the county next to me, right? I know people that, I, they, it's, it's like, it's weird, right? Because yeah. I, I look at, I don't know anybody in Washington, D.C., but I do know people in Washington, D.C. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm yeah. not in the inner sanctum. I'm a kid from Scarborough, but I live there, right? He knows what, the, everybody knows what the topic of conversation was. Why? Because Homestead Gardens was the place to go to take your kids for llamas, pumpkin patch it had the best you know in washington dc had the best train set you know christmas outfit you know during christmas everybody went there everybody taught obama's went there yeah everybody went there jay powell knows the, the pain that could happen and jay powell let me be positive on this the thing that jay powell has that alan greenspan has is he's not an ivory tower economist He's a private equity guy. So he understands the credit crunch. He understands this. I just think he's just got to get through this political minefield and everything's going to be okay. And that's why I expect rates to be cut sooner than the market thinks. I discount what they say, respectively. I know their game. They're trying to manage inflationary expectations and they want to get to the point where they are certain that we are anchored in a low inflationary environment 
And guys, we are slowly but surely getting there. Yes, inflation was transitory after all. So December 6th, no chance of a rate hike? No. No? Good. Um, so the history is... So I'm sorry, history- Dr. J. I have to check out, boys. I, I got an engagement at 1 o'clock in Welland. So I, okay. I thank you very much for your time, Dr. J. It has been fantastic. Go Welland. Go sorry Welland. to have to check out. <laughs> um, Two successive, his, we're playing history now, right? We're playing, we're, we're picking numbers for football teams and what are we going to bet on, right? So this is just history. This is just numbers. When they pause two meetings in a row, they've never raised rates after that. Pausing two meetings in a row has basically a time stamped the peak in rate hikes. If that, if they pause in November, that means that July was the last rate hike, which means if history repeats, they cut in March. So then can I just interject then? then you're, can you just then provide context to the people that are watching and, and, and listening? Because he paused in January. He raised in January or maybe February, I can't remember, and then paused for several months and then raised again in June, which you were very critical of. Um, and then right. So no, I'm not. I'm talking. Line. I'm. So let me be. Let me be frank. No, no, no. I'm. I'm talking. I'm talking Fed. So what I'm. 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 Uh, what I will. What I will say to you about. And I wrote about this in the Globe and Mail. Unfortunately, this is why the hard landing scenario in Canada. It's. It's the backbone of my hard landing scenario. Is maybe he, Mr. Macklin, will surprise us. But I really think that he he should have an independent monetary policy and he shouldn't follow the Fed blindly, which he has. Right. So so I think what we'll have. So I'm anchoring everything. I think everything is anchored off of what the Fed is going to do. And if the Fed pauses, that sets the table for everything going. And if the Fed pauses, this is something that might happen. Then remember, remember, Bank of Canada moved first. Right. And was aggressive. I honestly suggest to you that I would not be surprised if the Bank of Canada starts cutting first. If they get the data. So what's your call then for Canada? Uh, You know, we've got Benjamin Ty from CIBC calling, you know, May, June, Q2 first rate cut. That's been a very consistent consensus uh, across a lot of economists. I mean, a lot of people are saying. Um, well, it's, I mean, your builder uh, yesterday was saying 200 basis points by the end of 2024. I think that's a little bit too aggressive. But what's your call? When and how much in 2024? So we're going to have a big problem in the United States in March because of we're going to be lapping the one year anniversary of the regional bank crisis when the fed raised rates front end loaded rates and there's possibly 4000 banks that basically are insolvent and the only way you get that solve start solving that is getting interest rates down okay so i i i i would suggest to you that i think that early next year I would not be surprised if the Bank of Canada starts cutting rates in February or March. And the earlier they cut, the easier they can cut. In other words, if they wait too long, then there's going to be aggressive cuts. If they want to be gentle, 
If they want to get a nice glide path, then they should be cutting sooner rather than later. So I would expect early next year before March that they, they start to cut. With regards to the builders, uh, you know, look, at if we get a rapid deceleration in economic growth, right, then I could easily see rates being 150 basis points lower by the end of 24. His, 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 his call, although is stark, it's really when you think about it, it's not that out of, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think what we are, though, is going to happen is I think we are in an interest rate cutting cycle until the middle of 25. It's up for argument about how fast and, ha- and, 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 and the steepness of that. I would hope that they would start earlier so they can be gentler, right? As opposed to if they start cutting 50s and 100s, then that means that the economy is in big trouble. Right. Right. right? And I don't want that. And, and so, and so, so, and, and remember guys, just with that regional bank crisis, right? They bought government bonds that are trading at significant discounts that go towards their tier one capital, right? They basically think about where the 10 year of the U S is right now. The 10 year was at three fifty, let's say in March last year. So let's say we run a bank and we have a bond that we have in our hold to maturity portfolio and it was trading at 80 cents on the dollar. And then we sit there and the Fed comes out and says, give that, give us that bond. We will give you 100 cents on the dollar and we're going to charge you 5% for one year. Well, in March of next year, they get that bond back. The bank, our bank gets that bond back. But if they don't get rates down, then we get that bond back. It's trading at 70 cents on the dollar. Our solvency problem gets worse, not better. They got to get rates down. They got to get rates down or the regional banking crisis gets worse or they kick the can down the road and you have zombie banks for another year. The only way we get out of this problem with the regional banking crisis in the United States is getting rates down to a decent level. Right. And so that's the thing where everybody's running around saying everything's fine. No, nothing's been solved. Right. The regional banking crisis is in the penalty box and it's coming out of the penalty box in March. And the way we got to get down there. Is you know, so what are they going to do in March? Right. So I would expect a dramatic decline. Right. I, I in the long end. And then I think the other thing would be very interesting is to see. If the Fed and the Bank of Canada continually start to signal that they are objectively evaluating the data and they are not playing this political shenanigans of trying to use their communication strategy to think rates are going to go higher because they're fearful and they look at the data, then I think what's going to happen is the market's going to start discounting aggressively lower rates because the data suggests it. Well, that's why we come to you, Dr. Jakes. I want to know the truth. That's <laughs> okay. I guess that's, that's, that, that's positive news, especially for everyone that's renewing their mortgage and Trevor who has to get it across the line and he's doing magic math with some of the stuff he's had to do uh and then obviously when you've got um you know jeff sitting on inventory right um you know i was with a builder yesterday up in hamilton he's going to come on the show yeah he's going to come on the show uh won't mention any names right now but closer to definitely in the new year he wants to come on and he was basically saying you know what do you think and i was referencing a lot of the stuff that you were saying dr j and like what also some of the 
bearish of portfolio managers are saying Bank of Canada has to cut. They have to cut. I know and, down in Niagara, you know, there's a lot of developers sitting on land that they could actually build well, houses. They don't want to do nothing until this comes down. So that doesn't help the shortage at all of housing because they're sitting back until this stuff is all done and they're just sitting on lots. So that's it. Well, that's yeah. the, so, so, so to me, it's now we get into the realm of politics, right? Because I'll sit there right now and tell you right now, they should be cutting right now, right? There, there is not an inflation problem. Okay. No. Right. Okay. So, okay. So if it's politics, how do they get off the off ramp? What's their messaging? How do they sit, you know, so now it becomes Kabuki theater. Right. It's and a smoke and mirrors problem. That's so, what's going on. So how do they do it? Well, um, you know, if, 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 well, think, you know, I, I just say <clears throat> the data is eventually like what is going to happen is you're seeing it. So like, and I mean, I talk to guys, I, like I said, and I'll be honest with you. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to name names, but I know somebody that I want, I know, we know, I know a team that has a client that basically runs a company that services the home building and construction industry. And it's a big company. Okay. And it's a national company. Okay. And uh, business has stopped. And so what I'm saying to you is what we do is we think there's life is like a, a linear Right, it's it, it, it evolves in a linear fashion. But actually, what happens is it's steps up or down. Right, this is the conversation I have with this kid. Right, is you know I've got kids that are you know one of my oldest is a comedian and she's a writer and she's an actor. There are periods of time where her career goes like this and she keeps working, and then all of a sudden there's a six month period where it goes like that. And she's booking deals and she's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're sitting there saying, look, it, um, you're never, you know, life is, a, is, a, is, is like that. So I would suggest to you that what's going to happen is with the economic growth is we're going to go like this and then it's going to be this. Doof. Right. And when that happens, boom, they're going to cut. And if they cut, if they do it quickly enough, that doesn't manifest into a full-blown credit crisis like we had in 2008. It's not my base case. I don't think we're going to get there. But I think between now and, let's say, the end of 24, we're going to have that, where the data just stops. Right? We're going to have and turbulence I, in the economy. My concern is there's still going to be hawkish, though, when we have that drop, that they're like, no, we can't. We can cut a little bit, but we can't cut too much. Right, like it's just, uh, it, 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 it is. It's you know well, the the problem. The if yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting new. We're gonna see. Yes, I don't know. I mean, I think that's what they would like to do. But, sure. You know, but the, the, they're all the, the group think is there. They all look at the world the same way, and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But if they do it that way, that's fine. Right. If they do it, like I hope it's a little bit. Right. It, just if it's a little bit and they can start slowly cutting, then that would be fine, too. Right. If, if the overnight rates here in Canada are five percent. Right. And by the end of twenty five, they're at three percent. Right. That's a cut, 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 cut. It's nice and gradual. And then you get three percent by the end of twenty five. Right. And even the Bank of Canada says that's their target where they get back to two percent. 
I think they're going to get back to 2% by the middle of next year or late next year. I think by this time next year, inflation is going to be under 2%. If that is the case, I don't know if they have the political air cover to keep rates as high as they are because terminal rates are, right? If, if, if the core PCE, right, which is what they use, right, is to, gets to 2.5%, right? Fed funds rate is 2%. And as, and as the GDP numbers, just let me go, because I, I just posted it. I just posted it today. I'm, I'm, I just want to get it. It's on my Twitter. But right now, it is quarter over quarter. It is. It's my last tweet. It is right now. It is 2.4%. Yeah, I just saw that. They're there, my friends. We're pulling into the station. Now, what they do from here? That's out of my pay. I'm a kid. I'm a kid from Scarberia. I still go to Scarberia. Johnny's for my burgers, right? Scarberia. I still, I still scream at Mike Myers when I see him on TV saying he stole my, he stole my shtick. What are they going to do? I mean, I let's, let's just hope they don't wreck it. I think they know what they're doing though. I think they're, I think they got a handle on it. The guy, uh, Mr. Macklin's Q and a yesterday, uh, you know, it, it, I, I was just saying, I talked to my wife. I said, why didn't he talk like this two years ago? Right. right. If you listen, I, that's me listening to him, an economist listening to an economist. And what I'm hearing in the inferences and how he's phrasing it and how he's talking about it, he understands it completely. He's got mm -hmm. it. He's not out to lunch whatsoever. So that's why I say it's a breath of fresh air. He's going to, I think he's got a handle on it. Let's just pray. Let's go like this to break that nothing breaks free. You understand? Like, yeah. And then nothing breaks free. And then, and say. then you look, look, let's tip the hat. Then you got Tiff Macklin and Jay Powell. They soft land this thing. Right. Then we get into goat. We get, we get into goat conversations about these guys being the top central bankers in a generation because they've, they've basically gone through you know, they've gone through and they've navigated this thing through a very tough, tough, you know, tough time. And God knows we know how quickly a narrative can change in our world, right? Yeah. I, my biggest concern is, I think it was question period yesterday in the House of Commons, where you you have Trudeau, obviously Pierre Polyev attacking Trudeau. And every word out of Trudeau's mouth is just about more spending. Right. So you've got the Bank of Canada making comments that they are, um, of, you know, and, and hawkish about potentially having to go up again. And then you've got the government and just stop spending money. Like, where do we go from here? Right. That's, I, that's well, where I, where, So where I where I connect the dots there, I go back and that's why I go back to Sean, Sean, Sean Tally Bear. They're wheeling out Sheila Cops. They're bringing out all these people that the establishment that's basically saying if the Trudeau government does not change course, then I would argue that they have damaged that political party for a generation. It's that bad. Isn't they this need, the second time, though? No, they need, <laughs> to pull back. they need to pull back to the center. No, they need to pull back to the center. And I think what you're going to start to see is people, they, they, you know, let's see if they do. And if they don't, and if they don't, then there's, it's, it's, it's tough. Right. And I just think that with the conservatives and I'm not a, I love, I'm a political junkie, but I don't have an edge. Right. 
I mean, if I was, if I was, if I was asked to consult with the political, the conservatives, I would just say it's the old political action. Just say nothing. Like, right. don't take a bullet. Like, it's already been done. All you got to do is act like a leader. Act like you're, you know, can you abandon the right wing progressive agenda, pull back to the center and you've got the next election. But it just looks like Mr. Paul yet just doesn't want to do that. Touche. Well. Can't hear you. You want you mute yourself? Yeah, you're muted. Pulled out a cord. This is absolutely fantastic. I got to say, to have silence from Curry for like any <laughs> like our, our, our ratings are going to go through the roof right now. Right now, everything's gone through the roof. He fixed it. Son of a. I fixed it. I know. Oh, right now, ratings, yeah. ratings drop now. Yeah. Well, I just down. want to say thank you very much for uh, for coming on again. Um, Thanks for educating we, us here. We yeah. want to uh, we want to have you on again in the new year um, when more economic data comes out, and also when a, maybe a Bank of Canada decision happens. A price drop. Um, they are. Uh, when are they scheduled again to go? Uh, December sixth. I think in the December, early December. January twenty fourth. I think is ringing a bell. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think it's January 24th and then the beginning of March. So there's nothing, nothing in November or December. No, December. December 6th. 6th. No. So December we got 6th. December and then, yeah. So yeah, December so, 6th, last one of the year. Yeah. And, and so it'll be very interesting. I, I, I think what you got to do is just, let's just anchor off of what's happening with, um, it'll be very interesting because what happened was, so I'm going to be very specific. In the in '95, once Newt Gingrich got control of the speaker, and you got fiscal responsibility, like the Fed felt that there was going to be fiscal responsibility coming out of the House, right? Greenspan cut 25, and then 25, and then sat. <clears throat> so I wouldn't be surprised if they cut a couple of times and sit and see what's happening. Too. How early you enough. think they might cut? How early? Oh, I think they're going to cut in the first half of next year. I, I really do. I, I think if you would do, if you would cut, you know, if you would cut, I, you know, and, and, and so I, I, uh, you know, having talked to these guys at lacrosse games and barbecues, they're very smart people. They're very well-rounded. They're very down to earth. But I think what people don't understand is the political nature of the beast, which is the federal reserve internally in Washington and between the, the regional feds, right? And the infighting that goes along. I can give you, I don't want to bore you with personal experiences, but I think now what it is, is the data is there. Now it's just, now it's the political off ramp that we're going to see. Well, I think you're going to well, be right. And I'd love to celebrate that. There we go. Yeah, so just uh, real quickly, we got uh, January 24th, March 6th, April 10th, June 5th. <laughs> so if Dr. Jay's right, June 5th meeting is the you know, the, the wrap up to the first half out of the eight. And then we got July 24, September 4, October 23, and December 11th of 2024. So only one left this year, December 6th. March is going to be really important because I would expect once the data comes through that it starts to decelerate, folks are going to start 
what are we going to do with the regional banks that are basically insolvent, the zombie regional banks? And that's basically the unwind of the one-year program that basically allows them breathing space not to have to raise capital because of their, their government bond portfolio that is counted as their tier one capital. Right. And, and so I, so it's going to be March next year is going to be really interesting coming out of the United States to see how Mr. Powell and the fed navigates this um, very tricky, tricky situation. It's going to be interesting. Well, we always appreciate having you on. We're going to have you on again. This has been amazing. Thank you very much. For In the, the words of uh, Wayne's World, no, no, We're it's goalies. It's goalies. It's goalies. Go. We got a goalie. Yeah. We got a yeah, goalie. Yeah, we do. Year. Joseph Wall. <laughs> it's so this year, baby. Wall. It's yeah, going to be this year. Game. They were new. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now you're even more my favorite. <laughs> All right, man. See, Trevor's not talking. All right. All right. You guys, I got to jump. No you need. guys take care. Yes. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Well, let's just wrap it up. I guess help us Um, help you stay informed. Thanks, Bondo. I mean, Collins. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Hey, 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 hey. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.